0: How are you guys this morning? How was the turkey? Was it good? Oh, you had lasagna? I don't know what to say to that. I bet it was good. Okay. I want to open up uh, God's Word here for a second. And, and read something to you, okay? You're going to hear these words again in just a, a couple of minutes as our scriptures for today are read. This is from Romans chapter 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. So... Anybody here uh, need some money? You need some money? okay? Anybody else need some money? You want to you borrow? Okay. Yeah. Jeff, you want to borrow some money from me? Okay. What do you need? 50? How about 60? I don't have a 10. Okay. There you go. There's 60. Yeah. Well, just a second, though. <laughs> Kids, does Jeff owe me some money? How much? You guys know what a... Do you guys know what this is? I owe you. This is what I'm going to give to him, and I'm going to have him sign it. And it was $60, wasn't it? I owe you. And then we'll talk about interest. Make sure you're signing your real name now. (laughs) George Washington. (laughs) And I was just kidding him when I said, make sure you're signing your own name. He's signing George Washington. What a rascal. Well, listen, though. This is what happens. Um, When you loan somebody something like that, they give you an I-O-U, okay? Which means he owes me $60, whether he's George Washington or not. Okay, yeah, an IOU. If you were listening real closely to the Bible reading that I said, it said, Owe no one anything but this to love them. And so think of it this way. When Jesus gave you the gift of faith and gave you all of his love, and you know, every day he gives you all of his love, and you might say, Well, Jesus, what do we owe you back for that? And you know what? All he wants us to do is love one another. To, to look at Wyatt and say, you know what I owe you, Wyatt? I owe you my love. Okay? I owe, Cece, I owe you my love. I owe you my love. And and that you look at everybody and say, that's what I owe you is to love you because Jesus has loved me. Okay? Alright? So, when we look at other people and you maybe want to do something that's not nice to them, uh, remember that verse. It says, "What, what do we owe them because of Jesus? We owe them our love, to love one another. Okay, That includes brothers and sisters, by the way. Okay? Yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, because of you, we don't owe anything to God. You paid for all of our sins. But then you ask us to share your love with others. And so Jesus, help us to look at others and to know that here's what we owe them. We owe them our love, the love you've given us. We ask, Heavenly Father and Jesus, then, that you would help us to love others even as you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Twenty five per cent, by the way. Compounded by the minute, George. There you go. Thank you guys for being so nice and patient. Very good.
1: Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter two, verses one through five, on pages 676 of your church Bible. The mountain of the Lord. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it Many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Our epistle reading is from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 13, verses eight through 14. This is on page 1123 of the church Bible. Love, for the day is near. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Our gospel reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44, page 982 of your church Bible. And out of respect for the gospel, please stand as you are able. The day and the hour are unknown. Two men will be in a field; one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this: if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would not have he would have kept watch, and what it would not have let his house be broken into. So you all must all. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. This re- ends the Gospel reading. Please remain standing for the Sermon Song.
0: Please be seated. I'd invite you and encourage you to open up your Pew Bibles to the gospel reading we just had a few moments ago. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, page 982, and it runs over onto page 983. especially I'd like to lift up just verse 44 of, the, of that word of the Lord. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength, our rock, our redeemer, the Savior who is to come. Amen and that Savior who is to come wants you to know that you have his grace and you have his mercy and you have his peace. Uh, As we look at today's gospel lesson, there's a couple of observations I would like for us to make just to kind of frame our study of this part of God's Word. And here's observation number one. And in, in my opinion, this is the most important thing that we can learn and understand and observe about what Jesus is saying to us about his return on the, on the last day. Here's observation number one. He wants us to be ready. He truly wants us to be prepared for that day. And the reason he truly wants us to be ready, and the reason he wants us truly to be prepared for that day, is because he truly wants us to spend eternity with him in heaven. That's what he really wants, why he's teaching the disciples and us about his return. You know, he could have kept this secret. But he didn't, again, because he truly wants you to spend all of eternity with him. That's observation number one. Now, I will only speak for myself, but my hunch is I'm also speaking for you when, when I say that I am absolutely blown away by Jesus' words that he wants me to spend all of eternity in heaven with him. I mean, who am I? I'm nothing but a poor, miserable sinner. Who's he? He is the Holy One. He is the Son of Man. And the only thing that he and I have in common is pointed to by that title that's given him in the gospel lesson today, that he is the Son of Man. Calling Jesus the Son of Man points to the fact this is what we have in common. As I was born, he was born. He had a mom and dad. I had a mom and dad. He knew what it was like to be 12 years old. I know what it was like to be 12 years old. He knew what it was like to get hungry. I know what it's like to get hungry. To get tired. I know what it's like to get tired. He knew what it was like to get in a boat and go out fishing and catch fish and have a shore lunch. And I know what it's like to get in a boat and go out and catch fish and have a shore lunch." And at the end of his life, when he was crucified, he knew what it was like to die. Just as someday, one day, I will know what it's like to die. And and speaking of that, his, his dying on the cross, here's an understatement of the grandest proportions that that one act, his dying on the cross, speaks volumes to us as to how sincere he is and how much he wants you to spend eternity with him. He died there to make that happen. It's also why he humbled himself and became a human being just like us, giving us that one thing that we have in common. Listen to Paul's words from Philippians chapter 2, who wrote about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." He wants you there, doesn't he? In heaven, living there forever with him. Just so we could, he left eternity and entered into time. And when you enter into time, then you enter into having the limits and the limitations of being human. And when you leave eternity and enter into time, you you enter into a world and a life that will have suffering and dying. And yet, citing what Paul says, this, this amazing love, he loved me and gave himself for me. Again, observation number one, because he wants to spend all of eternity with you. That's observation number one. Observation number two is this we have a tendency to forget observation number one. We become so wrapped up in this life, we become so involved and so engrossed in this life that we become kind of like distracted drivers where you lose your focus as to where you're headed and what you are doing. Call it distracted living. Jesus provides lots of examples of folks and of who got caught up in distracted living and how common it is and how prevalent it is among us. The first one being people living at the time of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You've got to ask, how could they not notice the ark? No one his sons spent almost a hundred years building the ark and you would think that over the course of that century that there would have been at least a little bit of curiosity about what they were doing and that their efforts would have resulted in, in at least garnering a few more people who would have been ready to get on board the ark once it started to rain. And yet Jesus' words are pretty strong. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. They knew all about parties and how to have a good one. They knew all about weddings and how to have a family. But they knew nothing about eternity and where they would spend it. They were living totally distracted. Two men were in the field, will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. I have to admit, I, I wrestled with those words a while to come up exactly to understand what is Jesus saying here. I mean, these folks are a different example, aren't they, from the people who lived in the time of Noah. They just seem to be going about everyday life, right? I mean, there's nothing particularly wrong. There's nothing really wrong about what they're doing at all. But why was one man taken and the other man left? Why was one woman taken and the other woman left? I think that's a question that Jesus wanted his disciples to ask. Given that their outward circumstances they are identical. Where they were, what they were doing, nothing sinful, nothing wrong then it must have to do with something on the inside of the people, something that only God could see and know about. What's that something that made the difference between one taken and the other one left? It can only be this one thing, can't it? That the man taken had faith in the promises of the Lord. The other one didn't. That the woman taken had faith in the promises of the Lord. The other one didn't. That's the clear and consistent teaching of Scripture, isn't it, concerning who goes to heaven and who does not go to heaven. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Mark sixteen sixteen, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 1 John 5, verse 12. He who has the Son has life, He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Here's the third observation about the words of Jesus. Notice what he tells the disciples to do versus what he doesn't tell them to do. And what he tells them to do, he tells them twice. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect them. Jesus speaks those words because we can become distracted. He doesn't want that. Because, again, observation number one, he wants us to live forever with him in heaven. So what does he not tell them to do and what does he tell them to do? Well, he doesn't tell them to get busy and start believing because he looks into their hearts and he sees that they do already believe in him. And so they are ready. He looks and he knows they have faith. And so he speaks these words about one taken, one left in order to comfort those who have faith. It's also meant to be a comfort to you and to me. Jesus coming back again is not meant to strike a note of fear into our hearts because on that day when he comes again, for those who believe it will be the day when he fulfills this beautiful grand promise that he gave to his disciples in John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Truly, he wants us to spend eternity with him in heaven, doesn't he? You know the way. Don't you? In baptism, God's Spirit not only gave you knowledge of the way of salvation, it gave you faith in that way of salvation. Faith in Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. In your baptism, God washed you clean of all of your sins with the forgiveness that was paid for by the blood of his son, Jesus. And in baptism, God's Holy Spirit made you this promise. He who has begun this good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And so, to be ready and to watch is to keep on placing yourself underneath God's means of grace, like you are right now, coming to hear the word, coming to the table to receive his meal, remembering your baptism. To do that is to be like the owner of the house, who is keeping watch so that the thief can't break into your house and steal the faith that God has given to you. It's to stay focused on where you are headed so that you don't end up living the distracted life. You know, I think our watching and being ready also includes this. It includes telling. It includes inviting. It includes encouraging. It includes engaging those who we know who may not know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that more than anything else, Jesus wants them to be with him in heaven for all of eternity, just as much as he wants you there. Tell them that with your life, and how you live it, and in the way that you love them. And if you have to, use your words. May the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen. Let's stand and confess our our Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. Amen. Please be seated. As you enter God's house today, you had the opportunity to present an offering, or as you leave worship this morning, uh, to do so as a way of giving thanks to Him, of sharing uh, the first fruits of what He's blessed you with, so that the ministry of our congregation can continue to reach out to our community with the good news of Jesus. Uh, the, as we sing the offering song, the children are invited to come forward Uh, with their offering as well. So we join in singing Even So Come. Prayers this morning, uh, we pray for Ann, and Benedict, uh, Peggy, Amy, Monica, Barb, Mary and Mary Jane, Tian, Grace. We pray for all of these for healing of cancers, and leukemia, and Alzheimer's, and surgeries, uh, we pray for them. Uh, struggles uh, for our house to sell, we do pray that it would sell quickly. Uh, for safe travel this week, for our First Communion uh, kids who will be coming forward today to be guests at the Lord's Table for the first time. That's an exciting time in their life and, and look forward to that. Happy Anniversary to my parents Pat and Sharon. 64 years, my goodness. That is quite a, uh, a blessing, isn't it? Uh, Thanksgiving for me on my way to recovery. We pray for Sandy Frelick and her family as they mourn the death of her mom, Donna. Birthdays this week, Doug Newman, Marlene Shane, Lloyd Walburn, Marlis Lennars, Noah Hackett, Hannah Eggert, Kyle Hempel, Milton Pop, Cole Duvier, Kathy Gummert, Bill Paradise, Blake Taylor, Dennis Arntzen, Kathy Kraft. Anniversaries, Charlie and Nancy Anderson. How many years? 51. God's blessing. You're perhaps beginning to sense I like to use the Psalms for outlines of prayer. And and I was going to use Psalm 46 uh, this morning, but as I opened up the Bible instead it came to Psalm 61, which as I looked at it said, yeah, that's the Psalm. Page 567. uh, Uh, in your pew Bible if you'd like to look and follow along as I use this uh, psalm as the outline uh, for our prayer, Psalm 61 on page 567. The family of the week is, is uh, Rhonda DeMars and we will include her in our prayers as well for God's continued blessings. Lord, I look at your word and it just says, hear our cry, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer, listen to our prayers. And that is our our plea now as we come to you in prayer and our confidence because of Jesus that you do hear our cries when we are struggling and, and filled with pain and desperate and don't know where else to go or to turn and you do listen to our prayers. So even now, you listen and you hear as we pray for Anne and Benedith, Peggy and Amy, Monica and Barb, Mary and Mary Jane, Tien and Grace. Lord, some of these folks we've named are dealing with cancer, and that can make their heart grow faint. Lead them to the rock that's higher than, than themselves. Lead them to you be their refuge, be their strong tower against that foe of cancer. Others are undergoing surgery, brain surgery, heart surgery, Lord, again. Our hearts grow faint at the mention of surgery, especially on our hearts and on our brains. And so, Lord, be their refuge and be their strong tower as these folks go into surgery. We ask that you would heal them, Lord, and that you would give them that comfort and assurance that someday, one day, there will be healing for all of us when we dwell in your tent forever. But for now, we take refuge in the shelter of your wings, and we say, Selah. We pause, Lord, to take refuge in you. We ask for our home to sell, Lord. That matters in your hands. We trust you will provide we pray for safe travel we pray for our young people who will be coming to your table as guests this day for the first time may this first time be the beginning of a lifelong time of being a guest at your table lord until finally you bring them home to yourself to that wedding feast that celebration of communion with you that will know no end let them leave your table this day assured that they are your forgiven and redeemed children and fill them with your peace and strengthen their faith. We thank you for 64 years of marriage, for Pat and Sharon. We thank you for blessing me with being on the way to recovery. Lord, you've heard our, the vows of this person and increase Increase their commitment, Lord, to this time of of recovery. We pray for Sandy Freilich and her family as they mourn the death of their mom, Donna. Assure them that she now is in your tent forever and that she is eternally under the shelter and the refuge of your wings. We also pray for Rhonda, Lord, that you would bless her and keep her in her faith. Continue to use her in her vocation and in her life as one who is giving witness to you. In your faithfulness, protect her. We also give you thanks and praise for the gift of life. For Doug, Marlene, Lloyd, Marlis, Noah, Hannah, Kyle, Milton, and Cole, Kathy, Bill, Blake, Dennis, and Kathy. May these folks ever praise you, Lord. Praise your name. And as you give them this new year of life, may they fulfill their vows to you day after day. And may Charlie and Nancy continue to fulfill their vows to each other and to you as they celebrate their wedding anniversary. Lord, you have blessed them in so many ways. Continue to bless them with a love for one another that keeps on growing and a love for you that finds you as their ever-present help and strength and refuge. Heavenly Father, it is in you alone that we turn, we thank, we praise you that all of these words you have heard, all of these cries you are listening to, and that for the sake of Jesus, who has taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day